in Revelation is a really short time, um, and uh, I'm sure we haven't answered all the questions, but maybe we'll do it again at some stage and we'll handle all the things we haven't for now. But this morning I want to uh, begin a, a four-week series through um, an Old Testament book that's quite well known, and it's the book of, of Jonah. And uh, this morning in chapter 1, as we, as we look at chapter 1 of Jonah, we're going to look at, to me, uh, the theme that comes out there. It's the theme of unreserved obedience to the Lord. Um, and, and, and I say that because I think a very common theme for us as Christians is, uh, is the fact that we need to be obedient to God. But there's a slight difference here. It's unreserved obedience to the Lord when you don't want to do what He's asking you to do, which is a little different. There, there are a lot of things that, that God asks us to do. We're fairly comfortable with them. Uh, we're fairly happy with them. There are other things God may ask us to do that are a little bit stretching. But then there come times that God asks us to do things that inside of us we say, no. And it is a no. And believe me, even if you're a Christian, you believe in God and go to church, there are times when you have said no to God and so have I. That happens. And that happened to, uh, to Jonah. And, and the way that it outworked itself for Jonah is, is uh, God said to him, I want you to do something. He got on a boat and he sailed to a, a different place in the world. It was his way of avoiding God uh, and trying to run away from God. I'm not sure that you can run away from God, but, but he certainly had a good attempt at it. And, uh, and chapter 1 also underlines some of the, the weird ideas that people embrace about the choices they make. People make choices and they think to themselves, it actually doesn't matter if I make a choice that goes contrary to what God has said to me. I, I'll tell you something that I believe this morning. You would never make a choice that is contrary to what God has said if you didn't believe it didn't matter. We all feel we can get away with it. That's why we do it. I want to say this to you. God is way more active in your life and my life than we would ever even begin to realize. So, let's go to uh, Jonah chapter 1. and I guess Jonah is one of those more well-known parts of the Old Testament because of what? The fish. The fish but... <laughs> It's a fishy story. <laughs> and, and, and I think if you had to ask kids about Jonah, they'll all say, he's the guy that got swallowed by a fish. Right? May I say to you, he's the guy that got swallowed by a fish and he survived it. Have you ever thought of what Jonah must have looked like? I mean, I would have believed Jonah instantly if this oak had been died, partly digested for three days and three nights. And he appeared at my front door and said, the Lord says, Repent. I'm not sure. I think I might have been serious about it. But for me, what's interesting about the story of Jonah is there's been a lot of speculation around the reason Jonah didn't go to Nineveh, which is where God was telling him to go. Um, and, 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 and when we, we look into chapter 1, we discover it's about a man who tried to run away from God because he did not like what God was telling him to do. It's as simple as that. Uh, if you want to really get into the deep theology of chapter 1, it's Jonah ran away from God because he did not want to do what God was telling him to do. That's how deep it gets. And although one of 
he was a prophet. Jonah, we discover when you start to read in the, in the Old Testament, Jonah was a prophet. He was used of God as a prophet. But there came a time in his life when God said to him, there is something I want you to do. And Jonah said, it ain't going to happen. You see what happens is that God asks him to go to the city of Nineveh. And the city of Nineveh was in Assyria and wasn't very far away from where he was living at that particular point in time. And he was to go to the city of Nineveh. Now these were, these were very ungodly people. And he had to go to the city of Nineveh and he had to say to them who did not believe in his God, my God Yahweh is going to destroy your city in 40 days time. And so... As a result of that, people have kind of speculated, well, one of the reasons that Jonah never went to Nineveh is because he didn't want to go amongst, that kind of, amongst those kind of people. If you do a bit of reading about the Ninevites, they were one of the most cruel people on the face of the earth. I, I, I might use this for an example. I know you'll never forget it. They had developed a technique of skinning somebody alive and then keeping them alive as long as possible once they'd done that. That's the kind of people that Jonah was asked to go and minister to. You worried about your somebody at work. I mean, imagine this. It's bizarre. And, and Jonah says flat out no. And if, because of that, many people sort of speculated and said, well, Jonah didn't go to Nineveh because he was fearful of what was going to happen to him. That's not the reason he didn't go. In chapter 4, and I want to just pick it up because he actually verbalizes why he didn't want to go. It says, Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. And he was displeased and angry with God. And he prayed to the Lord. And he says, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still back at home? That's why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. Why? I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity, and I don't like what's about to happen here. His reason for not going is he didn't like what God was going to do if he went. Not because he was fearful. His reluctance to obey is not because of fear, but because he fundamentally disagrees with what God is asking him to do. And I know that happens to us as well. So let's quickly read through chapter 1 because I want to refer to some of the story um, as we go along. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. Quite interesting that somebody could think they could run away from the Lord. And they headed off for Tarshish. Um, and Tarshish were about 500 kilometers in the opposite direction of what God, where God told him to do. It's like going to live in New Zealand or something like that. You know, Ireland. And he went down to Joppa. We found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, here's the man who's trying to flee from the Lord. And then verse 4 says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. I don't know if you've discovered this, but you actually can't run away from God, even if you think you can. And the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and they each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. 
But listen to what happened to Jonah. Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and he fell fast asleep. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. The captain goes to him and he says, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us and we won't perish. And then the sailors said to each other, and this is one of the ways they would try and find out who was the culprit. They cast lots. Come, let's cast lots and find out who's responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots and the lot fell to Jonah, or on Jonah. And so they asked him, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? And Jonah really puts his foot in it. He says, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. And this terrified them and they asked, what have you done? It's not like, Jonah, what have you been up to? It's like, do you realize what you have done? They knew that he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. And the sea was getting rougher and rougher. And so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? He says to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that the storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not. For the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you've pleased. And then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And amazing, amazing things happened. The raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And then the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights and he had one of the most intense prayer meetings he's ever had in the middle of the fish. <laughs> Trust me, if you got swallowed by a fish, you would as well. This all starts with God giving Jonah an assignment that shook him to the very core of his being. And as I've said, he was to go to the city of Nineveh and he was to preach against it. And I don't know how many of you have realized this, but in the prophecy of Nahum, chapter 3, we have a, a description of, of the city of, of Nineveh. Let me just read it to you so you get a bit of an idea of, of what kind of place that was. Woe to the city of blood. Full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. The crack of whips, the clatter of heels, galloping horses and jolting chariots. Charging cavalry, flashing swords, glittering spears. Many casualty, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over corpses. All because of the wanton lust of a harlot, alluring. The mistress of sorceries who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. I mean... Who in their right mind would want to go there and preach? And then the unthinkable happens. Jonah actually chooses to do the exact opposite of what God has asked him to do. He set sail for Tarshish. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. And you know what's more interesting to me than that? Is Jonah felt that his reason for doing that was, was legit. Now, I think before we get too self-righteous and condemn Jonah, let's ask ourselves the question. I want to ask you this question. Would you have gone? If you knew what was lying ahead of you, would you have gone? 
You see, it's easy. We can have this great sermon about this guy that disobeyed God. How many times has God spoken to you and you haven't gone? How many times has He spoken to me and I haven't done what He said? So let's not get too self-righteous about, wow, this Jonah was such a terrible guy, because I think we might be putting ourselves in a little bit of trouble. See, the whole point of this passage, I think, is to reveal a very deep truth to us. Why is it that people like Jonah, and why is it that people like us actually disobey God, try and run away from God, if you want to use that phrase? Perhaps it's, it's around a relationship that needs to be restored. And God's saying, oh, I need you to go to that person, I need you to make right. And what do we say? But Lord, do you know what they've said? Do you know what they've done? Do you know what they've been saying about me? Do, do you realize, how can you possibly want me to go and make right with that person? They deserve everything they get. And we come to the place where we actually convince ourselves that disobedience is okay. Or it might be about an area of ministry God's been speaking to you about for a while and you keep, well, God, this, and I've got this on, and you know, I'm really busy at work, and there are a thousand reasons we've got for that. And, well, maybe it's about a decision you've been putting off for, for quite a long time. Every time, you know, you're spending time with God, it just kind of reminds you and say, Lord, not now. Maybe after the holidays. Maybe after I've done this. Maybe after I've got my kids into school. Then I'll do that. Maybe God's been speaking to you about your family. Maybe God's been speaking about uh, the fact that, we, that we're supposed to embrace and honor people of different cultures. I'll tell you why Jonah disobeyed God, and I'll tell you why we disobey God. We fundamentally don't like people telling us what to do, even God. I, I, I've... I've there's a phrase you've all heard. We're a culture of entitlement. And Jonah said, not even God is going to tell me what to do. And we need to be alert to the fact that we've become a generation with a thousand reasons for disobeying God. I don't have time. The church is fake. I can't afford it. God has let me down. That's impossible. I don't see anything wrong with that. It's amazing of how many interesting excuses we've come up with. It's like these guys when they get stopped and they're speeding and all these excuses they've got for why they were speeding. It's like unheard of some of the things. And like Jonah, we actually convince ourselves that our reasons are legit. Fortunately, the story doesn't end here because God sends a storm that threatens to destroy the ship. But the bigger issue is not the storm, it's this. Jonah did not connect the dots between the storm and his behavior. So, so where's Jonah? He is fast asleep in the ship while the rest of the world is panicking. It's the church asleep when the world's in crisis. And he's fast asleep. And he hasn't connected the dots between the storm out there and the behavior that's been going on and the choices that he has been making 
in his life. You know what you'll discover in Jonah chapter 1? That a decision to obey God might seem legit at the time, but it's always costly, always more complicated, always affects others, and always brings us into conflict with God. May I say that it's still true. You ever remember a guy in the Old Testament by the name of Samson? Remember God said you must never have a haircut. I mean, it wasn't quite that simple. But. And Samson allowed somebody to cut off his hair. And look what happened. Do you remember King Saul? One day he felt he could bend the rules a bit. When he had been told that when it comes to, to offering up a sacrifice to God, you may not do that. You have to call in the prophet. You need to call in one of the, uh, one of the priests to do that. But, but the situation became so tense for him. He said, well, I need to take things into my own hands. And you say, well, John, that's all Old Testament stuff. Okay. So what about Ananias and Sapphira? When they felt it was okay to lie to God about the money they were bringing to the church. Or what about the Corinthians? Who when they had a fellowship meal felt it was okay to disregard the poor. And you know what happened? Samson, who was supposed to be a deliverer, fighting for the nation, setting them free from their enemies, ends up like a blind man in prison. Because he just overlooked the fact that you need to be obedient to what the Lord says. Saul becomes a has-been king. And an ice and Sapphira, instead of making a contribution to the church, lost their lives. And a very strange and interesting phenomenon, for me anyway, was that the Bible tells us there were people that are getting sick and even dying in the church because of the behavior of the Corinthians. That's hectic stuff. One Corinthians chapter ten, verse eleven to thirteen. It's referring back. Yeah, that's it. It's referring back to these examples we have in the Old Testament. These things happened as examples and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the fulfilment of the ages has come. Now, I just want to clarify something for us here this morning. God is good, and God is gracious. And God is kind. But when we choose to deliberately go against what He has said to us, we're always going to come off second best. It's the way it is. And I think as, as Christians, we need to convince ourselves of that truth again. That it isn't okay. Now the highlight for me of, of chapter 1 is, is when Jonah gets serious with God. And he gets serious with God in two ways. Number one... He says, now there is a connection between the storm and what I've done. And number two, he's willing to take drastic action to rectify what's happened. He says to the sailors, you can throw me into the sea because it's my fault that you're facing the storm. And what happens next is a wonderful picture to me of God's grace and mercy. You see, Jonah was not breakfast for the fish. 
The fish was God's intervention when Jonah came to the place of getting serious with God. Sometimes God's intervention is a little bit strange. But you see, whenever we turn ourselves over to God and surrender to the Lord like that, we are always doing it to a God of grace and mercy and kindness and love. And even though Jonah has been disobedient, and he's done exactly the opposite of what God told him to, God hasn't abandoned him. God doesn't abandon us. In fact, I want to say to you this morning, He is the God of second chances. Now, I want to finish off by saying this morning, I have, have a sense before the Lord that God is calling us as a church back to a place of unreserved obedience to Him. And I don't just mean that with the small things in life. I, I mean that around some of the big things that God is speaking to us about this morning. I'm going to ask you if you can just pop up this. The, some of the things I think God is speaking to us about as a church. Number one of being agents of change. There are many of us who can witness at the moment that we're really sensing that God is saying to us, connect church, I want you to be agents of change in our nation. And, and almost every time somebody's spoken about it, they've spoken about it from the book of Nehemiah. And there's been that word of Nehemiah, the man who was brokenhearted for his nation and for the city of Jerusalem. And who responds and he says, I can't just leave it there. I've got to go and do something about it. And I don't know about you, but whenever I think of that phrase being agents of change, it's an overwhelming thought. And it's overwhelming because of the amount of stuff that's happening around us. And the, you, you almost come to the place and you say, God, are you actually serious? Every day I open the news, it seems to get worse. And you see, God's asking us not to debate it. He's asking us to obey Him. So I think that's one of the things God is speaking to the church about at the moment. The second one is this. It's transformation. Transformation means that as Christians and as the church, we are willing to embrace people from every language, every culture, and every nation. You know what I've discovered? As we've been starting to push into that, you found it hard. You sometimes found it hard. You found it hard when you have somebody preaching who doesn't preach the way you're used to getting preached, preached to, or preached at, something like that. And people might be a lot louder and preach a lot louder because they're from a different culture group. And friends, if we're going to embrace people from other cultures, we're going to have to adjust a little bit. It's what it means. It's not always easy. But that's what God is calling us to do. Thirdly, 
We've got to break down the barrier between the sacred and the secular. May I say to you this morning, being together like this in a church service on a Sunday morning is not more holy than going to work. I seem to remember somewhere in the Bible Jesus said, and I will be with you even to the very ends of the earth. Now I know it might feel better here, well I hope it does anyway. But I want to say to you, the God of glory and the one who promised to be with you is just as much with you there as he is here. God, because you're feeling different, doesn't mean God's changed his mind about his promises. And what's making me so excited is when I'm hearing Christians start to verbalize the fact that what I'm going to do in my business or at school or wherever that might be, what I see is a kingdom opportunity to serve God there. I think that's something that God's speaking to the church about. My personal sense is that there's going to come a revival that people are going to realize I actually can bring a change out there. I think we're still thinking it through at the moment, but I think there's going to come a day when God is going to so move by His Spirit that the church is going to turn around and look out there with new eyes and start believing that we really can make a significant difference. And the last thing is goes back to our our tagline here is continuing the work of Jesus. I, I, I don't know if you've ever thought about that phrase before, what it means to continue the work of Jesus. For me it means that what He did, He's calling me to do. It's one thing that you and I can't do that He did, and that's die on the cross. That's done, it's completed, it's over. But everything else that He did is calling us to continue calling us to continue preaching. He's calling us to continue to pray for people. He's con calling us to continue to trust Him for signs, wonders, and miracles. He's calling us to be salt and light in this world. All the things that Jesus did, He's calling His church to continue. Do you remember that when Jesus started His ministry, the Holy Spirit came upon Him? And God said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And I'm so interested that the day the church got going, Jesus said, now go and wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. And I will pour out my Spirit and I will empower you as I've been empowered by the Spirit of God. And I want you to serve God in His strength as I have done. Continuing the work of Jesus. There's none of those things are easy for me. And I believe that's what God is saying to us as a church at the moment. You want to know what, for me, unreserved obedience about? It's about those things. I haven't heard a call yet to go to Nineveh. I might. I don't know what that could look like. But these things I know. And I think many of us witness that's what God is saying to the church at the moment. Now, um, I, want to, I want to just pray for us. Um, and if you this morning are able to identify with what I've been sharing, and you have a sense maybe that God's been speaking to you as well, 
certainly the Lord's been speaking to me about this. Um, I want us just to, to pray about the journey forward. I think it's going to demand perseverance. I think it's going to demand flexibility. I think it's going to demand us seeing people and things differently. I think it's going to demand a certain level of boldness. I think it's going to demand the fact that we need to go in the power of the Spirit. Because you and I can't do these things in our own strength. This isn't us getting a new program on the go. This is realizing God is calling us to obedience by the Spirit and through His enabling to accomplish these things. And so I'm going to pray right now. If you want to respond to that, I'm going to ask you to stand um, as we pray. And uh, your response is saying this, I am Lord willing to commit myself to unreserved obedience. That's the response. Now, I don't want you to stand if you're not for real about that. But I do want you to stand if God has spoken to you this morning and you're saying, I'm in. Not that I can always get it right, but I'm in. I'm committed to that process today. Just as you're standing this morning, that although I've outlined the bigger picture, there are small things that happen in the bigger picture that make it work. And so God will call us to different places and positions, to different roles to play, different things to do. He will lead you by His Spirit. I don't need to tell you what to do. He will tell you what, what to do. But the moment you say, Lord, I'm willing to unreservedly obey what you're saying, you'll be amazed at how much God's going to speak to you. Because the moment we say, Lord, I'm, I'm willing to listen, you're going to suddenly find yourself inundated with what God is going to give you to do. That's the way it works. And so, Lord, um, I want to pray this morning that... Um, we would truly believe that the church can be very effective agents of change in the world. Not saying this always happens, but I want to just remind you that when Jonah eventually did go to Nineveh, a whole city repented. They even got their animals to repent. I mean, just think about it. You actually can't figure out how people like that could actually come to repentance through one day's preaching, but they did. And I think the, the sense of excitement and the sense of anticipation for us as the church is what could happen when we get unreservedly obedient as well? What, got, what, what might just happen out there? And so, Father, I... I really pray for us that there would be a stirring of faith in our hearts. Lord, we want to be obedient because we love you, not just because you are forcing us to. We want to do that, Lord, out of love. For you said, those who love me will obey me. And Lord, so I pray that there might be a strong love for God amongst us here today. That, Lord, we'd love you deeply. We'd love you from the depths of our heart. Lord, we'd love you with, as people have loved you in the past. Some have taken... Um, 
jars of perfume and just poured it over the feet of Jesus, being an extravagant kind of love. Others have been sacrificial. Others have, have given of themselves and their time and their energy. They've given of their finances, of their resources. Father, I want to just pray that we will be a church in these days that love you deeply. And, and, and I, I, I ask, Lord, that we will be doing nothing out of guilt, but, Lord, we will be doing it out of love. And so, Father, will you, will you help us in that? that you, will you remind us of your goodness to us? Will you remind us of your kindness and your grace and your mercy? The many times you've answered prayer, the ways in which you've worked, Lord, the times in which we've cried out to you. And Lord, you just, you've just showered us with your kindness and good, goodness and mercy and love. Lord, may we never be of people who forget the good things of God. I want to just remind you again that God has been good and God will be good. And we are His people who have responded to His goodness. We have responded to His love. We have responded to His grace. And we have responded to His mercy. And now He says, continue to respond to my love. And continue to respond to my grace. And continue to respond to my mercy. And continue to respond to my voice. My sense is, if I may say this this morning, I believe this, this issue of un Reserved obedience is prophetic for the church at the moment. And the devil's done an awfully good job of getting us to believe that our excuses are valid and they are legit. And he's robbed us of our purpose and our calling that God has given to us as the church. And so, Lord, we say no more of that. We want to cast off the lies. Lord, we want to, we want to turn away from the deception of the enemy, Lord, the, the voice of this world. And we want to say to you today, Lord, there is one voice we want to listen to, and that is the voice of God. Lord, we want to say we want to be people who, when the Spirit speak, we say we have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. In Jesus' name, amen.